Welcome to Chatting with Chemeketa, the show where we talk about everything related to the college. Whether you're someone considering coming to Chemeketa, a current student, an alum, a member of the community, or part of our local business and industry, we have got you covered. I'm Jessica Howard, president of Chemeketa Community College. And I'm Les Wilgus. Here's a question for our listeners. How do financial success, Oregon history, and collaborations between Chemeketa's faculty and students all tie together? Les, you don't need to try to answer that one. Darn. I know. Instead, we have a special guest here in the studio who can tell us this and so many other things. Please welcome to the show our award-winning faculty member, Taylor Marrow. Hey, Taylor. Thanks for coming down to the studio today. Excellent. Thank you guys for inviting me. Thank you, Jessica, and thank you, Les. Taylor, uh, it's great meeting you. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I've been in Oregon. I'm an Oregonian now. I'm uh, working on my 20th year, uh, finishing my 19th year in Oregonian and my 19th year at Chemeketa. I'm originally from New Jersey. Uh, I studied at Indiana University, but I began my college career at Guilford Technical Community College in North Carolina. Guilford Tech? Yes, Guilford Tech. I did Tech. not GTCC. know that. GTCC. <laughs> I yes. took a tour. Yes, beautiful campus, it, it's a, a great beautiful place. College. Yes, I loved it. And it really helped prepare me for going to college and uh, to relate to kind of some of the things, experiences my students have. So, yeah, I've, I've come out to enjoy the beautiful Oregon and, and, and the weather and also just the outdoors. Does this mean that you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan? Actually, so growing up in New Jersey, I'm from central New Jersey, and Jersey oh. has three distinct cultures, northern New Jersey, southern New Jersey, and central New Jersey. And as central New Jerseyan, I get to choose. Ooh. And so my dad was a Jets fan. Oh. And so I am a New York Jets fan, die hard. I'm a New York Mets fan because I chose hmm. the Mets in 86. And then I was a Philadelphia Flyers fan until the uh, Jersey Devils got good, and then I jumped on the Devils <laughs> bandwagon. Never really big into the New Jersey Nets, so I am. I'm a Blazers fan, although they're making a tragic mistake uh, not supporting Dame. <laughs> you know what? We can talk about what you just said <laughs> for many hours. Oh, yeah. Oregonians, I'm sure, are very upset about that one. Is what I'm thinking. <laughs> so, Taylor, you teach history. Yes, I do. And I love it. Yeah. Um, you bring it to life. Okay, can I just tell one story? For sure. Thank okay. You. So, I was going on a trip to France, and I was searching for a podcast on French history, and I found one. And I started listening to it. And the first episode, the podcaster talks about his transformative experience taking a history class at Chemeketa Community College from you. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like worlds colliding. Anyway, I was so excited to make the link back to one of our own. Yes. Tell it, us about history. Yeah, so that's awesome you brought that up because that gets to one of the things, uh, the topics, which is, you know, collaborations between faculty and students. Former student of mine, um, Gary, uh, Gary contacted me. I'm going to say that was maybe four years ago, five years ago. Uh, he was doing this successful podcast. He came in actually to Chemeketa as a high school student, took one of my classes, one of the brightest students I had. We kept in communication. He was really in the world history, and he contacted me through Facebook, which is one of the awesome ways I keep in contact with some of my students. And he asked me if I'd do uh, be a part of his podcast that's getting more popular. He's also expecting his book to be published, his first book to be published by Rutledge coming up, I think within the next year, he told me, is what he contacted me with. So yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome thing to be able to work with my students, keep in contact with them, and see their, and see their success. Isn't that amazing, Les? It's all amazing. 
Yeah, all it, of it. Even your story is amazing. Well, the thank connection. You. Yeah. Oh, well, but I you know, know what? You, where you pulled that one out? Well, you, you knew about it ahead of time, didn't you? No, but I got to tell you, it was a total <laughs> surprise. But here's the thing: this is a student who was local. Mm-hmm. He is now. He has just gotten his doctorate in history, mm-hmm. and this is all because of his exposure with us and with Taylor specifically. Now, when you see doctorate in history, is it in a particular? era of history or how does that work yeah so as a historian my specialty is 20th century u.s history with a really particular concentration on race relations and so typically with history you um find a specialist that you want to study under right and i got blessed when i went to um ball state university where i got my master's degree to work with this guy whose specialty was southern history and whose specialty also was the african-american experience and so i focus primarily, my focus was the African-American experience. One of the awesome things I loved about graduate school, going to Ball State University, right? The Cardinals, our most famous alum, David Letterman. Oh, wow. He also has a scholarship <laughs> for C students, which I think is also no, admirable. Yes, totally. He's, he loves that place. Um, scholarship for C students. C students, so right? It's open for anyone, C but grade, it's the average. C, it's, it's okay, C yeah, average yeah, right, it's open right. for you, right? I thought some people, code for something. No, else, it's usually C yeah, means Usually there's like, a standard um, of like, you know, a B or an A, yeah, yeah, and, he, yeah. and he, he firmly believe because he was an average student that an average student is still a success, right? And that's sure. kind of one of my mantras of as well. Um, and so I focused on 20th century race relations. What I loved about going to Ball State, besides getting to work under Dr. John Glenn, not the astronaut, was that I got the opportunity to work for something called the Center for Middletown Studies. So Middletown was a sociological study published in 1929 by Helen and Merle Lind. It is the first one of the most renowned sociological studies in looking at a town. And Middletown, or Muncie, Indiana, is Middletown, the middle aggregate of America. So it is also a town where new fast food restaurants test out their meals or new fast food restaurant chains are tested out because it is the mean of America. Mm. And so one of the things I was blessed with was to write a book on the history of race relations, and it tied into this sociological work because... The desegregation of Muncie, the history of relations between blacks and whites in Muncie was really uh, akin to what it was nationally. Although Muncie was in the north in Indiana, high schools were segregated until the 1970s. Pools were segregated. Mm. They had to desegregate the fire and the police. And so I got to be a part of that kind of historiography and and, and that story. That's fascinating. So, in other words, people get their degrees with sort of a specialty kind of focus. Right. Yes. And so, you know, you start out coming out of undergraduate Indiana University where I did my undergraduate Go Hoosiers, um, kind of doing it generally, kind of figuring out where you want to go, testing the waters. And by the time you're done, you really get that opportunity to to figure out what you want to do. Consequently, I have a double major. So my other degree is in telecommunications. Now it's called the School of Media Arts at Indiana University. I wanted to go into audio and video production. I just didn't have the opportunity to find a job because I worked full time by going to school. And the only thing I do is take an unpaid internship and I couldn't really do that at the you time. just may be maybe starting it right now right, right <laughs> this second on yeah. this radio show that's what I'm thinking so so now you're in Oregon mm-hmm. do you teach classes that involve Oregon history so not specific classes but I do integrate Oregon history when I'm talking about U.S. history when I'm teaching my U.S. history classes and the things I really kind of try to hammer home are what's happening in Oregon over really the last 40 years which is this increased diversification. Um, Most people nationally don't know that Oregon is the only state in the country to have a constitution that restricted people from migrating. I didn't know that 
until I moved here, right? So it had a, uh, uh, a constitutional amendment where black people couldn't migrate to the state. And so it was really set up and established as this place for, um, some people call it a, a white utopia. And so it had limited the amount of people that could immigrate that were non-white. But over the last 40 years, that has dramatically changed. And so um, it, it's had a distinct impact on Oregon, particularly the increase in, in Hispanic population. Um, you can see the economic um, uh, increase in Oregon. You can see how uh, the Hispanic community is contributing uh, not only to job growth, how they're contributing to cultural growth. Um, and you can also see as well how there's a significant change in Oregon culture because of so many people immigrating. Uh, Oregon, one of the things I love about it is its independent spirit. That works in small agricultural communities. As the state continues to grow, right, there's this tension that I distinctly notice, which is this, you know, tension between this independent spirit of local towns, local control, and then the necessity of larger, um, more systems being put in. And, you know, this is something that hopefully Chemeketa can help prepare our students for. Um, and this is something hopefully as well that the state will continue to, to, to be prepared for that, you know, we'll have this tension that'll exist between local control, but also, you know, more s- systems being put in place as the state gets bigger. Yeah, this actually is, um, is how I explain our, some of our funding challenges as community colleges, because we are all, we're, we're all local governments and there's not much of a system that supports us. And so, um, you know, how we kind of harness that independent spirit, we don't feel like we're being, you know, I don't know, stepped on or, or managed. At the same time, we recognize that we're all trying to solve the same problems separately. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot in what you just said about our future as a state. Yeah, and what it means to navigate this world we're in. Yes, and that's one of the things I'm, I, I love about having children here. I love about living in Oregon is being able to shape it. Like the local control is so amazing because you have the opportunity um, as a citizen of the state to engage at the local level that I've not really seen in other places, whether you want to be a part of a board, one an advising committee. The individual citizen has the opportunity to bring about dramatic change. Um, and that's really what Chemeketa does as well. Uh, what I see in my students, you know, that one student we talked about, Gary, but also one of the interesting things um, is, you know, I live in Portland and I am an amateur MMA fighter. I want to know amateur MMA fighter, although I don't fight anymore. You are um, yes. Oh <laughs> I am a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but I happen to be downtown going to go see a fight with my wife and Along comes one of my former students on one of those electric scooters scooting by. Gary, are you serious? <laughs> yes, it wasn't Gary, like, no, it wasn't the no. student David. He's like, hey, Taylor. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm taking classes at PSU. Um, and I got a, I got an internship in the city. And so it was great to see the student that was in my class. He was into martial arts, um, going to PSU, having this internship. And I'm friends with him as well on Facebook. And he just got his MBA from Oregon. And so it's awesome to see how this individual that came to my class was impacted by what I taught him and is transforming Oregon, right? It's being a part not only of Oregon financial success, but being a part of Oregon cultural success. And so that's one of the things I really enjoy is traveling across the state and encountering students that that, that have been in my class and been at Chemeketa. Well, Taylor, I think, you know, there's no doubt that you touch a lot of people in the classroom, but I think you also touch people students who are in clubs and are active around the college. Can you talk 
about that? Yes, that is one of the things I really, really enjoy is advising student clubs because it really gives them an opportunity to develop leadership skills, right? These soft skills that employers are looking for. How do you hold a meeting, right? How do you manage people in a meeting? How do you keep the meeting going forward and progressing? How do you develop an agenda? And so these are all of the things that I work with in, with students when they're developing clubs. Um, how do you become a treasurer? What does it mean to manage a budget of a, of a club? How do you fundraise? And again, these are skills that students can apply to you know, a whole host of, uh, of, of employment opportunities, whether it's the business world, whether it's the nonprofit world. And so that's one of the things I, I truly enjoy. Um, speaking of another former student, there's a student of mine that I worked with student clubs. Um, uh, it was the uh, Chemeketa, um Community Service Club. Um, the student went on to PSU, got a degree in business, and now the student also has a West, because he's from West Africa, has a West African food cart that they have wow. near the PSU campus that they're working as an entrepreneur. So it's great to be able to see former students who are applying the skills, not only they got in my class, but the skills that they got working in clubs to an entrepreneurial spirit. So what is uh, your very best class? Like what's the most exciting class right now? I mean, I, re- I recognize you can't choose among Ooh. your children. But, you know, <laughs> is there some, like, do you get a chance to teach that odd, exciting once every few years history course? Yes. So that would be African-American history that I get to teach. I get to teach it annually, and I really, really love that course. But right now what I'm really geeking out on is, um, is, uh, is East Asia, China, and Japan. And that's what I've really been kind of studying on uh, this year. Well, it is so exciting. And, you know, the reality is we have just scratched the surface of what just one of our amazing faculty members is teaching and doing and in terms of influencing students and really the communities that our students uh, become part of and help to shape. I just want to say um, how happy I am that you've been able to join us, Taylor. It's just so impressive what you do. Um, for all of you, if you have any follow-up questions or comments about what we've talked about with Taylor, please write to us at chatter at chemeketa.edu and we'll answer your questions through email or on an upcoming show. So thank you, Taylor, for all you do for our students in our community. Thank you, Les, and thank you, Jessica. Yeah, it's, been, uh, it's been nice meeting you. It's time to take our halftime break, but we'll be right back to talk about education training that is future-focused. Are you the type of person who enjoys helping others? Consider a career in speech-language pathology. Chemeketa offers a fully online program that includes both theory and practical experience to prepare you to become a certified speech-language pathology assistant. Apply today at go.chemeketa.edu slash speech pathology. Welcome back to Chatting with Chemeketa. Joining us now from our grants area of the college is Galen McAllister. Welcome to the show, Galen. Thanks, Jessica. It's good to be here. Galen, education and training is a very general kind of topic. And so for someone like me, please tell me what you do, what's your, what's your title, and, and what this is all about. Sure. Uh, so I am the Director of Institutional Grant Development. And what's really fun about my job is I get to help 
almost everyone on campus do their work. Uh, it's a lot of people. I, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> uh, so a lot of innovation work, you know, uh, new things, new industries that we're trying to support, new opportunities for students. Uh, we work with funders who have certain ideas that they want to um, incorporate into education. And we all come together and I help uh Sort of it's project management, I guess. I, I help get the idea together with the funding, and then the people who actually do the work are all our, our deans and our executive deans and faculty who uh, implement whatever project we're working on. So Galen is someone, Les, who connects up a lot of kind of idea makers, innovative thinkers, and our faculty, and uh, helps us see some possibilities for us to do new things with some innovation-type funding. And the hope is that those efforts will be so successful that we'll find a way to continue to do those things. And one of the categories of funding that has recently made a big, big difference at Chemeketa and for our communities is called Future Ready Oregon Funding. I wonder, Galen, can you give us a a kind of, I I realize we can talk a lot about (laughs) what this is, but can you give us a snapshot of what this category of funding is all about? Sure. It came out of the last legislative session, so when Governor Brown was still uh, in charge. And the idea was, as we came out of the pandemic, wanting to get everybody back on their feet, and especially to pay attention to those groups that historically have been excluded from a lot of workforce training and opportunities. Uh, So the grants are set up several different state departments, uh, mostly HEC, but also Boley and our workforce partners were in charge of giving out the money, and they were looking for projects that could get people from where they were into well-paying jobs. And our part in the middle at Chemeketa is to provide the training that's going to meet what the employers want and uh, meet the needs of the people doing the training. So it was a great opportunity to really um, do what we're great at at Chemeketa, is figuring out how to get people the training they need quickly and in ways that are accessible to them. Uh, And so it's a great project. It brought in millions of dollars to the campus pretty quickly uh, and hundreds of students have gone through the programming even already. Now you said two words there maybe uh, they're acronyms heck Oh, heck, and sorry. Bowley? Yeah. Is, <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, no, but- no, I just, you know, I, my job is to, you know, for us and remedial state of you know, <laughs> understanding. To, yeah, yes, know we're these all about are. the acronyms yeah. here. So HEC is the Higher Education Coordinating Commission, and BOLI is the Bureau of Labor and Industry. Uh, and at the state level, both of them are very interested in education and training. And okay. at BOLI, we worked with on apprenticeship-related projects uh, and HEC on uh, healthcare manufacturing and technology. So, Galen, you talked about historically excluded populations, Mm -hmm. and I had the joy of reading the long list of those populations. Can you give us a sense? You're right. It is a long list, Um, and it's people we've been serving since the beginning at at Chemeketa. Uh, So low-income populations, rural, uh, women in the trades, uh, people of color, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, immigrants, and uh, disengaged youth. So adults in custody, too. Adults in custody, right. I forgot about that. No, it's a a long list. Yeah. It's a lot of folks. (laughs) And again, we've We do have programs on campus and relationships with community members that helped us plan for this. So um, we we kind of had a leg up on a lot of um, other entities that were competing for the same funds. And you also mentioned healthcare and a couple of other kind of categories. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a sense of like how big are these categories? Quite big. Um, So as we know, and the pandemic accentuated the point is that there is a shortage of 
workforce um, in the healthcare area, but also manufacturing and technology are the other key areas that are going to really help Oregon bounce back. And they're pretty broad also. So technology includes agriculture technology, you know, the the new tractors that come with robots so that they can run themselves, uh, the new watering irrigation systems that have robotic and um, GPS service that can help them water without you walking around with a giant hose. Um, I, I do that. <laughs> Actually, I don't. We need some high-impact mm. technology, right. I think. So for our area, um, really broad, but then we could uh, personalize it to what is needed, what our employers are saying they need, and what students are interested in doing for careers. Another thing I recall from this um this kind of category of funding was that it really helped us get a lot closer to community-based organizations. So basically, groups in the community that are focused on some of these populations that you mentioned earlier, it meant that we weren't just sort of coming up with a program and then trying to get some folks to be interested in the program. We worked with the community-based organization and said, what is it that the folks you're connected to and who trust you because you've been serving these folks for a long time, what opportunities do they need? Can you give us some examples of how that you know, resulted in some amazing training. Right. That That's a great point. The success of all the projects, I think, are the relationships we de- developed or expanded that we already had with community-based organizations. So a couple examples, the Farmworker Housing Development Corporation um, in Woodburn, they work with women who live in low-income housing who are interested in careers that are well-paying, that they can do with their current skills that allow them the flexibility. Um, maybe some of them have young children. So they were doing some trainings on how to be um, property managers so that you can get into an apartment building, you can be the property manager, and then you can get reduced rent or free rent. So they had a group of women, and then we have an apprenticeship program that's desperate to get more women in the trades. It's been a long-term issue. We've been working on it and providing programs, having very low turnout. And they immediately had 30 women sign up who said, yeah, we want to be HVAC contractors, we want to be electricians, we want to be plumbers, and we got them the pre-apprenticeship training that will help them compete to get into the slots in apprenticeship. So that was an example of um, the community-based organization had the relationships, they had the childcare that they could provide during the training, they helped with the language barriers, they helped us find a place that could be convenient and accessible, and then we brought in the training. So um, that's an example of the relationships, the leverage, um, and the location of the community-based organization can really work with us in what we bring in in education and and equipment and skill training. There are many examples, right, Galen, of the programs that we ran with this Future Ready Mm -hmm. Oregon funding. And what it did was it allowed the students who enrolled to not have to pay uh, anything to do the training, but it also paid for their living expenses and childcare and all, all the the real life costs that don't go away when you become a student. But I think some of the examples also include things like truck driving, right? Right, right. Truck driving was one of our most successful trainings. You can become a truck driver in four weeks, which is amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we we um, were able to, through grants, get some great trucks. We had a super instructor. And with Willamette Workforce Partnership funding that they managed through Future Ready, they paid those wraparound costs so that a student could leave their job for four weeks. Because in this employment market, most people are working. They might be working in a low-paid job, and they want to become a truck driver, but they can't afford that four weeks. Who's going to pay their rent and their car payment and their child care? So 
paid for them to do the training, and they were immediately able to get in jobs that paid $60,000, which, you know, there's not much else you can do so quickly with, a, you know, a basic high school education and suddenly get a career that's in demand that's that's probably going to be pretty stable for years to come. Didn't we also have a pretty spectacular uh, result from our medical assisting program? Right. Right. Same thing where that's a relatively short term training, but people need support while they're in it. So we were able to provide the tuition, the wraparound supports. Wraparound supports is what we call, you know, helping out with transportation, child care, links to getting, you know, if you need to get um, food assistance, if you need the clothing that you wear as a medical assistant, if you need a watch because um, younger people, they don't always have a watch. But if you're a medical assistant, you need a watch for taking people's pulse. So things like that. And again, that um, especially for medical assisting, gets you on that ladder where you can do medical assisting, you can come back, you can do our RN program, and you can continue in the health field. Yeah, and not only do the folks get the training, like with the medical assisting, but because of the focus on certain populations, um, most of those graduates are bilingual in Spanish, which, right. of course, is a huge community need. It's remarkable what we've been able to do with some of this really kind of an innovative approach to funding because, you know, the, the old, the sort of the old model is, you know, you stop doing what you're doing and then you come to college and then you magically afford college and all the continuing costs of living while you're trying to get this new credential that, you know, should hopefully empower you and change your life and move you forward. But sometimes paying for things all along the way is not realistic and certainly not in our current economy. Right. Well, and especially when people can immediately take jobs that might pay more than they're used to, but not enough for a lifetime career. So I might say, oh, Burger King is paying $16 an hour. I'm going to take that um, and forego becoming a medical assistant or forego becoming a truck driver because I can't afford that training, that you know, nine weeks of training or nine months of training. Um, so it's been a really good, uh, I think of all these grants as experiments. Let's see if we do this. <laughs> uh, and all the different projects have been good experiments to see um, what works and how it gives us the freedom to do things a little bit differently. Uh, and we have discovered a lot of things like making sure that we're thinking about how long is this taking the student and what can we do to remove those barriers that they're um, coming across, not just in the classroom, but managing their life while they're a student. Is this program student-driven or is it program-driven? Would there be a particular field that you need students in or is this the students saying, yeah, I want to be a truck driver, I want to be a medical, whatever? Or do you have, let's say, like slots open? You know, how does that work? Which you know, one drives the that other? That is a great pivot because that is what we discovered during these early projects. We were doing cohorts of, okay, um, uh, community-based organization, you get us 30 people and we'll put them all into medical assisting. You get us 30 and we'll put these, these ones yeah. into truck driving. But we discovered is, of course... These students want to do a variety of different things. So in our next round of Future Ready, instead what we're doing is we're training the community-based organizations to, to, to work with us as advisors and get students in the program of their choice um, with that kind of good advice of, here's the program, here's the training, here's how long it's going to take, and here's how much you'll make at the end. Um, because students need to know that you know, what's, what's realistic? What's the, what is, how does this line up with your life plan if you're choosing this career? Um, but we did, we, we changed our focus for the next round to allow a lot more choices still within um, high needs areas, because that's really, 
as a community college, we are trying to serve the community and make sure that we're creating. What's graduates. a high need area? <laughs> so healthcare, okay, <laughs> as yeah, you know, yeah, number yeah, one. Yeah. Um, manufacturing is is still big, and technology is big here. But the technology is within industries. For example, there's a huge need for IT in our government operations. So some areas of the state might have you know huge Google warehouses or um, huge technology companies. We don't have that here, but we have a, a state government that needs people who can do IT. So that's one of our, our focuses is what's in this area and where are the jobs? Well, Galen, I'm just, it's so exciting to hear you talk about this. And it's, this has been a real labor of love. And I think a lot of thinking around um, how we put all these things together. Uh, and you have been absolutely integral in making that happen. And I think, um, you know, the last point you made, which is the next round of this funding where we're going to try to kind of connect up the people with the full range of our offerings. Mm-hmm. I think that's incredibly exciting because theoretically that's how all this is supposed to work anyway. Mm-hmm. And the reality is people are overwhelmed by the number of choices. People don't think that they can afford it. It's hard to navigate. And so mm-hmm. having that help with the navigating, I think is going to be absolutely transformative and hopefully something we can scale up for absolutely everyone who comes to us. So, so thank you, Galen. What, what an incredibly um, kind of, um, exciting conversation. And for our listeners, if you want to know more about what we've been talking about, be sure to email us at chatter at chemeketa.edu. You can also send us comments about the show or suggestions for future topics. Again, that email address is chatter at chemeketa.edu. We really delve into interesting topics here, Jessica. We try this show. And I'm sure we'll have some more great topics that will get us thinking and contemplating all sorts of things in upcoming episodes. So be sure to join us again. Same chat time, same chat channel for chatting with Chemeketa. I'm Les Wilgus. And I'm Jessica Howard. Bye. Bye.